Welcome to The Approach, a microcast where we help you walk with and pray for the next generation. I'm John Reinheimer, and I know what you're thinking. This is not my part of the show. (laughs) You're right. Uh, But I'm taking over today for Connor. Where is he? Well, uh, don't worry, he's still here, but he's going to show up in a different way today because he is uh, our focus for this bonus episode. We're going to get a chance to listen to a message that Connor gave back at our chapel service just a few months ago. Connor preached about what is holiness and what could holiness look like for the next generation. It's a topic that he and I have talked about a lot and we're both extremely uh, passionate about as, as dads and people who want to see the next generation walk with Jesus. So we hope you really enjoy today's bonus episode, Holiness for the Next Generation. Much of what I love doing is taking the good news of Jesus and bringing it into accessible or try to make it understandable terms for the people that I'm communicating with. Now, this can run the risk of getting into some cheesy pastor lingo. There's actually a page on uh, Instagram that I follow that makes fun of these types of things. You know, it's those sermons we've all heard where the pastor tries to make something rhyme and it just kind of falls flat. So one of the memes on this page, it was a picture of a restaurant sign, and the caption said, can't you just hear a megachurch pastor saying this? And the, the restaurant sign said, if you're upsetty or feeling regretty, eat some spaghetti. Or there's one of the cheesy lines where someone says joy, J-O-Y, Jesus for the J, others for the O, and you for the Y. It's kind of cheesy. And quite honestly, it just kind of falls flat. What I'm passionate about is understanding who my audience is and engaging them in a way that calls them to something greater. And that's not done by watering things down or making these acronyms that get a quick laugh. No, it's by telling people they are created in the image of God and they can walk in relationship with him so that they can become more like him. That changes lives. And that is what people want to know. So when I think about the approach, I get really excited. And here's why. What if we could get every parent to view themselves as a missionary sending agency? Every teacher, every coach, every youth pastor, what if they all saw themselves as people who send young missionaries into the world with the good news of Jesus? How might that change schools? or teams, or youth groups, or let's be real, conversations that 15-year-olds have. So there's another podcast that I listen to. It's called Intentional Family. John Tyson takes you through his five levels of fatherhood. From lowest to highest, it's irresponsible, ignorant, inconsistent, involved, and intentional. Intentional being the highest level of fatherhood. So being involved, which is the second highest, That comes pretty naturally to me. And the reason is because I'm there. My wife's a nurse. So I have lots of mornings and evenings and weekends by myself. So my kids know their dad is going to be involved. But am I being intentional? Am I tailoring what I'm saying to each kid and their personality and what makes them tick? It's like when I'm too hard on my oldest and my wife has to remind me, He's a little more sensitive than you are. She's a little more intentional than I am in that moment. 
So Silas is our oldest. He's soft-hearted, he's caring and warm and affectionate, and he's always thinking about others. Lenora is our middle. We call her Lenny. She's quick-witted, she's smart, and she never backs down from anything. And I promise you, she will probably run the world one day. And I'm a little bit terrified, but I'll probably be working for her, so hopefully I'll be fine. And then there's Sayla, our youngest. She drinks a lot of milk and eats a lot of food. My point is, the way I communicate with each of them has to be different because they're each unique. I have to know their hearts so I can speak to them in ways that impact them. But it's still the same underlying message. Each of them is created in the image of God and can walk in relationship with him and become more like him. But for each kid, you have to say it just a little bit differently. And for my wife, it's a little bit easier to tailor it for each kid. For me, for whatever reason, it seems to be a little bit of a struggle. Well, the language I'm using here, it should remind you of something. It's missions. It's learning a people group, or in this case, a person, so I can engage them, love them, be in relationship with them, learn from them, see the goodness of God in them, and walk with them as they walk with Jesus. And that is why we do the approach. We desire to equip our listeners so they can understand the next generation as they pray for and walk with them. And if we can get a teacher to understand the next generation, maybe they can journey with these students in ways that are applicable to them. Because for those of you who have served abroad, what happens when you walk into a setting and you do not understand the context? What if you start speaking English or using North American cultural references or behaving in ways that for you are fine, but maybe they're offensive towards those you're with? It probably didn't go too well. We have to understand Generation Z and the next generation before we can journey with them. When we step into conversations and we start saying things like, well, back in my day, or, well, you don't know how easy you have it, we lose so much credibility, and we just look like some old, out-of-touch fogies. The next generation, they're going to write us off, just like you and I did to the generations before us. Let's be real for a minute. When your parents' generation started talking about the way things used to be, you just rolled your eyes, didn't you? It's kind of like when my son complains about the internet buffering on Disney+. Plus. You know, I just kind of look at him and I'm like, zip it, dude. You don't know what it's like to have a late fee from Blockbuster and your dad had to pay it. Now, he's five. So he's not quite annoyed yet, but he's getting to that point where it's like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. My problem is Disney Plus is not working for me. Well, let's talk about Generation Z. Statistics are showing that many younger Christians are leaving faith all together. The Pine Tops Foundation has projections that expect about 42 million Gen Zers to leave the church by the year 2050. Let's look at Christian denominations. So the United Methodists, they have an average age of 58. Non-denominational, about an average age of 54. Catholic Church, 51. Or those with no religion at all in the U.S., about 43 years old. But what's the average age of a United States citizen? 38 years old. So the average age of an American is 38. 
most Christian denominations are about 10 to 20 years older than that. So the church is getting older, you and me, and younger individuals, they're leaving the church. The next generation, they want to throw themselves at social causes and fight on behalf of the marginalized. And this is a great inclination. This is part of the holiness code we read about in Leviticus. With this inclination of theirs, can we walk with them, though, so that their practices are rooted in God and not in the dominant culture's narrative? I think we can. What we need, though, is updated language. So that as the next generation steps into relationship with God, they can begin to love God and love others. Their hearts will become other-oriented. Their lives will look completely different than those around them. But do they want to do this? Do they want to stand at the intersection and ask for, as Jeremiah said, the old road, the tried and true road, and then take it? I don't know if they do. You know, when I was their age, I don't know if I wanted to either. Because let's be real, we have cloaked this lifestyle in this old, outdated, archaic language and legalism. And we haven't brought the language into their vernacular, into words they understand. Because we want things to stay how they are. So growing up, my grandparents and my family, we both attended some Wesleyan churches, They worked just a couple miles from each other, and from time to time, though, I would go to church with my grandparents instead of going to my family's church. And I'll always remember the way my grandparents got to their church, because it kind of amazed me. You see, in Indiana, for the most part, roads are set up perpendicular, not a lot of curves, it's a lot of north, south, east, west, but this road that they took was different. It always seemed as though you'd start out in Central Marion, and somehow, you'd pop out on the southeast side. Never really made sense how this happened. So the common way to get to Brookhaven from my parents' house when I was growing up was to take the bypass about six miles, and it took you about 15 minutes. Well, the less popular route, the one my grandparents took, it was about four and a half miles, and it took about 11 minutes. Well, given that their path took less time and was shorter, why was it less popular? My grandparents took Central Avenue. It began with this enormous cemetery on your left and railroad tracks on your right. There are no businesses, no restaurants that are conveniently along this path. And it was a two-lane road. So if you got behind somebody slow, you better get comfortable because there's no passing. The road was riddled with potholes. And as you took this large curve, the cemetery went from your left to your right which honestly kind of reminded you of your mortal state the whole time you're on this drive. And because it's off the beaten path, the odds of you seeing someone you knew was pretty slim. But each time you traveled down this road, I was always amazed. It would bring you through these dark woods right to their church. And it seemed to be the most precise path. So why was no one else taking it? Well, there are many answers that could be proposed. Well, the bypass in our city, it was a more common way. It had more businesses and restaurants that you might need. Four lanes, so two going north, two going south, so you could pass people. Faster speed limit, it was a smoother ride with less potholes. And it was a more popular route, so you might see somebody you knew, and maybe they'd even see your new car. 
Well, compared to the bypass, Central Avenue lacked any conveniences. It was slower paced. It was bumpy. It was lonely. And it offered no notoriety. So in 21st century North America, it does beg the question, why would anyone take this road? My grandparents took this road not for the conveniences and not for the luxuries found along the way, but because it was the path that led them straight to the place they were going. And I believe it's on this road where we find the way of holiness. We find it on the road that has less distractions, that has no materialism, that is surrounded by those who have gone before us. It's riddled with potholes and maybe even suffering, but it's this road that leads us straight to God. We simply must be bold enough to walk on it. And instead of carving out our own path, we must be humble enough to ask for directions to the old road, as Jeremiah said, the tried and true road, and then take it. So if this road is so good, why is no one taking it? One obvious answer is that this road is not the easier of the two. Another reason, though, is I believe this road is traveled less because of our language used to describe it and how we live it out. We use words this next generation does not understand. And let's be real, words we don't even understand. And we fail to live up to this legalistic standard that we've set. So of course, the next generation writes this off. And if we're honest, why would they want to be part of this? What we need today is not a new path. We need an old path that the next generation understands with words they use. And we'll only find those words if we step into their shoes, learn from them, and understand who they are and how God has wired them. We can journey with them and talk about things like trust and mentoring and abiding and identity, friendships, relationships, journeying with Jesus and the narrative we live by. And as we do this, we can set loose a generation made in the image of God, doing the work of God so that his kingdom can expand all over the world. And as backwards and sideways as the approach sounds coming from a mission agency like WGM, and I get it, I questioned John a lot when we started this thing. What we're simply trying to do is understand a people group and bring the gospel into words they understand in ways that engage them so they can journey with Jesus to the places he calls them to. And if we do this, I believe we will see a generation who can unleash the kingdom of God all over the world. If we could work with this younger generation and communicate to them the power of a holy life full of love for God and others, we might well see a generation who lives out holy lives in every domain. Teachers, nurses, doctors, businessmen, engineers, political leaders, and the like. So as the world interacts with these people in the marketplace, they'll see people who are self-emptying, other-oriented, and overflowing with love. They will see the image of God shining through believers who are walking really humbly on this highway called holiness. And it will be through this that the good news of Jesus can be told to the far corners of the world, places that the church has never entered. I believe the message of holiness is ready. I believe the next generation is ready. 
Now, our generations, we need to communicate the power of holiness and step back and watch what God will do with a generation made after his own heart. What does this practically mean for you and me, though? Well, for me, it's my kids. It's Silas, it's Lenora, and it's Selah. I don't know who it is for you. Maybe it's your kids, your grandkids, or nieces, or nephews, or somebody that you mentor, or coach, or teach. Whoever it is, though, you may be the closest thing they have to the gospel. So back in November, I was reading uh, Dennis Kinlaw's This Day with the Master, and he wrote, Salvation never begins with the person who is saved. Nobody ever decides on his own to get better. Not a soul alive wakes up one morning and says on his own, I believe I'll become a Christian, or I believe I'll get my life right with God today. The key to every person's change rests in somebody other than himself. And as I read those words, it made me wonder, you and I are sitting here because other people have prayed for us. And now the question is, who are we praying for? On the approach, we're praying over the next generation. I'm not perfect at it. I can lose my cool with my kids. Just ask them, ask my wife. But we know this is the only way to start an awakening in the hearts of the next generation through prayer. And we really hope you'll join us. I really hope you walked away from Connor's talk inspired to journey with the next generation, whether that's your, your kids or grandkids or students or other athletes, just whoever you're walking with uh, in the next generation. And thanks so much for listening and for joining us today as we pray for and walk with the next generation as they seek to use their gifts, talents, and experiences to journey with Jesus and participate in the Great Commission. Thanks for sharing the approach with others and rating it and reviewing it as this helps others find the podcast. So for some of our resources, you can see the show notes on our website at wgm.org slash podcast.